Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Daily French Show. I am your host, Nicholas Lorimer, and today I'm joined by Gerbrand van Heeren. Harry, how are you doing? Um, I'm good, thanks. Uh, I'm, uh, at least I'm not experiencing the, the extreme heat that you have there in the north. Oh, yes. yeah. mm. Indeed. Uh, I'm mm. also joined today by Marius Ruth. Marius, how are you? How's it, Nick? How's it, Harry? Hello. I am baking in this horrific hearting heat right now. I apologize to any listeners if you can hear my fan in the background, but quite simply, I'm not turning it off because otherwise I may expire at my desk. Anyway, uh, let us get into the news of today. And the first story we're going to talk about today is, this is actually one of those ones that sort of, you know, in the, the global culture wars uh, is, a, is a kind of recurring topic that comes up another, which is uh, what should... What, what level of involvement should sportsmen have in politics and commenting on political issues? And the reason we're talking about this today is that there is a board meeting of Cricket South Africa this weekend, and they're discussing a variety of, of the normal issues that they would at a board meeting. But one of the issues they're going to be discussing are comments made by South Africa's under-19 captain, uh, David Tiger, who was recently at the ABSA Jewish Achiever Awards, and he was given an award uh, the Jewish Achievers Award there. And he said, yes, I've been given this award, and yes, I'm now a rising star, but the true rising stars are the young soldiers in Israel. So he basically dedicated his award to the the, the young soldiers in the IDF. Uh, the Cricket South Africa board chairperson says that his comments would be discussed at the board meeting, but didn't elaborate further as to what this means. So it's not clear whether they're going to punish him or whether they're going to let him go, or whether they're just going to you know, uh, decide to not really comment on the matter. Um, the, so the SA Jewish Board of Directors has said that he was entitled to his opinion. There was nothing inflammatory about his comments. They were a personal nature expressing his deep-held support for the Jewish state um, and mentioning friends and family in Israel being impacted by Hamas, Hamas's terrorist attack. Every other South African is permitted to express their views on international issues, especially when people who are close to them, uh, close to them are among the victims. So um, I guess, Marius, let me start with you. The question is, and, you know, we've seen so many examples of this, I think, around the world where you'll have some contentious political issue. It doesn't really matter what it is. And at some point, a celebrity or, and I think more interestingly, a sports person will comment on it. Um, and, you know, I think these comments are pretty tame by comparison to some of the things that, that people occasionally say on issues. But, uh, you know, what it, when you represent a national side... So I'm not talking about someone who just plays like for a club or something. Um, should you be more circumspect in how you talk about uh, political issues? What, what's your take on this? Yeah, <clears throat> uh, I'm quite conflicted on this because I do think if you national sportsman uh, or even just a professional sportsman, <clears throat> you should probably keep your political views to yourself, I think. But in this case, uh, David Tiger was speaking. It was effectively a private event. Uh, you know, he wasn't speaking after a game and we just represented South Africa and giving his views on the issue between on the Israel and the Palestine issue. So uh, it's a bit tricky. Uh, but at the same time, uh, CSA has allowed um, kind of politics to, CSA has pushed certain kind of politics. Uh, you know, it's uh, 
forced the team to take the knee for Black Lives Matter. Uh, you know, Quentin Lukaku who didn't want to do it for whatever his reasons were. Uh, I don't think we need to interrogate that. Uh, was he was actually he wasn't allowed to play a game because he said because uh, the team was told everybody has to take the knee. If you're not going to take the knee, you're not going to play. Quentin Lukaku was like, okay, that's fine. He didn't any just before he was uh, before the game started, he was taking out the team. Subsequently, he did take the knee, and you could see it was something that uh, he wasn't too happy about. So it's pretty complex. But I think with this issue, I've been thinking about it a lot. I think with Tiger, what he said, it's okay. As I say, it was effectively a private function. But also, at the same time, South Africa is, uh, I mean, to use a bit of a cliche, South Africa is a diverse country. And there are people who support the protests who are going to have very different views on uh, what David Tiger said about the conflict in uh, Israel. And, I mean, for myself, uh, I mean, as you guys know, I'm quite a big cricket fan. And if somebody like Kahiso Obada came out and said he was uh, massively, even if he was saying this, uh, you know, at a proud event and it came out, you know, Abada said he was a massive fan of, say, Julius Malema, and he thought we need things like expropriation, expropriation without compensation. I think it would be uh, quite tough for me to carry on supporting the protest. So it's, uh, yeah, I don't think Tiga should get into trouble for this at all. Uh, you know, it was a private function that he was speaking at. And uh, it's, it's not great that, I mean, I don't think CSA should be uh, kind of um, policing what uh, cricketers are saying at what are effectively private functions, you know, and another thing you could actually say is um we've had uh, players after a game you know uh, be very open about their religious beliefs which is fine some people they might also not be uh you know comfortable with that players thanking god and praising god and so on after a game now i think that's fine uh, but you know some people might not be happy about that so it's all pretty complicated but also at the same time i don't think we need to uh we shouldn't really worry about what a, a sportsman's political views are we those sportsmen that they, they they're famous or well-known because they're good at playing cricket or rugby or whatever the case is, not because of their particular views. Uh, there's also, an, uh, I mean, it's the hypocrisy of global sporting bodies. Uh, I mean, with uh, the Premier League as well, uh, in the English Premier League, the Football League uh, in the UK, players also had to take the knee for BLM and all that kind of stuff, which is fine. But then uh, Mesut Ozil, a German-Turkish player uh, who played for Arsenal, when he started saying things about um, what was happening to Muslim Uyghurs in China, he got sanctioned for that. Uh, so you, I mean, why, why can people say certain things? Why are certain politics about border and certain politics aren't? Other people should be allowed to say whatever they want or they should keep quiet on all issues. It's, you know, it's, it's this hypocrisy of global sporting bodies. No, I definitely agree with that. There's, you know, a lot of messiness in the way this sort of is handled. And I think you've kind of uh, got it sort of right there. We really don't want sporting bodies to be harassing people for what they say. Um, you know, I mean, when someone agrees to become a sportsman, I do think that on a certain level, they are agreeing to kind of try and put their best foot forward, when they, particularly when they're representing a national side. Um, but at the same time, it also doesn't mean that they would suddenly lose all of their rights to free speech. So I think, you know, you sort of got to have a little bit of an approach here where sportsmen, I think, as a kind of, uh, I think it's, it is it is becoming of them to try and, you know, not get involved in contentious political issues. Um, but at the same time, they shouldn't be hectically sanctioned for that sort of stuff. But, you know, I think that the thing I agree with most of what you said, Morris, was that um, uh, we really shouldn't be looking to sportsmen for their for their views on politics because at the, at the end of the day, I mean, they have a platform and they are famous, but, you know, they're just as well informed as anyone, really. Um, 
So I don't, I don't know why people do take it that seriously. It's the same as, uh, uh, you know, when an actor endorses some issue, I'm like, well, this doesn't change my opinion at all <laughs> because there's, you know, this person is great at making movies, but it doesn't really mean anything else. Um, Kerry, what's your take on this issue? Um, you know, your, your thoughts on, you know, am I right to say that there should be a sort of social pressure on sportsmen, not maybe to say things too political, but um, no sanction? What's your thoughts on this? Yeah, um, I am also, um, well, first of all, I, I lost my internet connection. So if I repeat some of your uh, sayings, I, I apologize. Um, but I'm also a little bit on the, the fence uh, regarding this. If you, um, I mean, that's a, 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 being part of Cricket South Africa, that's uh, his occupation, that's his, his job. And we all are expected to, to um, act and behave uh, in an appropriate way that that represents the organization in a in a good light uh, you don't want to say or do something that's going to put the the place your your workplace uh, in a in a bad light but at the um, at the same time we we do have freedom of speech freedom of belief freedom of association and at the end of the day um, he is Jewish, so um, I, you know, it's expected that he would, you know, not condone the actions of Hamas and 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 um, be maybe supportive of 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 the Israeli government or the Israel Israeli military. Um, also, I think. If our if our government or if some of our government leaders can make telephone calls expressing support for Hamas, um, then I think um, this chap can also you know just voice his opinion about which side he can take without extreme backlash. Um, yeah, I, I think I'll I'll leave it there. <laughs> Yeah, no, exactly. That is kind of the thing that sort of does stick in my throat about all this, the fact that this is even in the news, because it's not like he said, you know, we must destroy Palestine or something like that. He just said, you know, I support young soldiers in the IDF. And, you know, in theory, you could even be supportive of, of, of the young soldiers in the IDF without actually endorsing the state of Israel, um, you know, because those are people in a tough situation who are... Doing something very dangerous. Um, so anyway, I, I think this is all a little bit of a storm in a teacup. Um, uh, Marius, any final thoughts? On your <clears throat> yeah, I think um, just one point. Um, everybody's free uh, free speech is limited to a certain degree. I mean, I'm just thinking about us uh, sitting here. Uh, we all work for an organisation that uh, supports liberal values and so on. But if one of us had to go tweet something like saying apartheid wasn't that bad, or you know, uh, we don't need uh, free elections anymore. We'd, we'd, we'd probably lose our jobs, you know? So it's uh, everybody has some limits on their free speech, uh, depending on what your job is. Uh, you know, your employer might take umbrage to what you're saying, uh, even if you're not saying it under your employer's banner or whatever the case is. So, you know, everybody has some limits on their free speech. I mean, that's just a fact of the world. And uh, just then as, as an aside, I haven't been able to confirm this, but I think 
and David Tiga is related to Ali Bacha. Uh, and anybody who's followed cricket will know who Ali Bacha is. I think he is uh, David the T or Ali Bacha will be David Tiga's great uncle. I think from what I've been able to work out. So I just found that quite interesting. Indeed. Anyway, um, I, I hope that this is <laughs> the last we hear of this issue, but knowing the way that our, our kind of crazy politics and stuff goes, uh, probably going to come back at some point but uh let's move on to our next topic and this is about um the south african human rights commission has had a complaint laid with it by the leader of the democratic alliance john skian hazen he is accusing cyril ramaphosa of failing to protect the human rights of south africa's children specifically with regard to their well-being and access to food he said in a letter to the South African Human Rights Commission. I hereby lay a formal complaint against the President of the Republic of South Africa for failing in his sworn oath of office to put the needs of South Africa ahead of other interests, thereby failing South Africa's 4.8 million children who are starving as a result. He bases that number off of a report by the Nelson Mandela Children's Fund, which found that 4.8 million of the country's 20 million children are starving. He said, I hold that this is a shocking and tragic situation that is a consequence of sheer negligence and disregard for the plight of our children on the part of President Ramaphosa, who alone has the power to intervene decisively. Instead, he has allowed his human, this human catastrophe to unfold, even as the catering costs aboard his presidential jet run to 24,000 rand per person for a single flight. Uh, and then he goes on to say that the DA has several suggestions for what he could do to uh, absolve the, the issue, including... Um, uh, spending 26 billion rand more per year on uh, the child support grant, um, as well as uh, reducing VAT on various food items. Uh, there's already some food items which you don't pay VAT on, but the DA wants to expand this. Um, so, I mean, there's, I think, two parts to this. One is, you know, laying a complaint with the Human Rights Commission. Marius, um, I'll start with you again. Uh, you know, kind of a, always a bit frustrated by the human rights commission it's always this kind of body that you sometimes i think says silly things sometimes it says good things but it's you know it, it's always seems to have a bit of an awkward place i think in, in what it can actually do or how much change can actually affect uh, this does seem far more like a political issue that should actually kind of be i think beyond the South African human rights commission but secondly you know what do you make of the proposals um, that Stian Hazen is putting forward here to try and address the issue. Obviously, the fact that so many children are very poorly fed in the country is an enormous crisis, if not one of the biggest crises facing the country. Um, how can we start to turn this around? <clears throat> well, the way you can turn it around, I think, is through economic growth. And that's not something that's going to happen overnight. And it's not going to happen as long as the ANC's in power. And you're right, this is actually a very big crisis because... Uh, as I understand it, uh, malnourished kids, uh, they have uh, lots of problems uh, later on in life. To, I mean, if you don't get fed properly when you're a baby and a toddler, there's all kinds of implications for your body's development, also your cognitive functions, all kinds of things. And these problems that you have through throughout your life. I mean, there's just going back to uh, cricket, if I may. <laughs> there was a guy who played cricket for South Africa called Mfuneko Ngam in the early 2000s. And he was... You know, he was like really broke on the scene, was one of the quickest bowlers playing international cricket at the time. Uh, after three tests, uh, he uh, he only played three tests for South Africa because he got a stress fracture. And um, from uh, the doctors at the time said they thought it was probably because he was uh, malnourished as a kid and his bones hadn't uh, 
uh, they weren't as strong as they should have been for somebody of his age and size and so on. And, you know, that's just one example. And that's what that guy's career was ruined because of uh, malnutrition. And, I mean, that's just one person. So think about all the other people who've suffered from uh, malnutrition in South Africa. And, you know, this comes down to being an economic issue, I think. People simply can't afford um, to feed uh, children properly and so on. And we, when then we're sitting with uh, quite big problems later down the line. And it's also, I mean, I don't think the Human Rights Commission can do much about this, but it's, uh, I think this is also, I mean, we're really in election season. I think this is probably actually part of the DA's uh, election campaign, to be honest, which is fine. I mean, it's a good way to get an attention issue and show that the DA is kind of a caring party and so on. Kerry, what do you make of this? Um, you guys at the Center for Risk Analysis recently put out a review on the grant system across the country. Yeah, um, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a horrific situation. Five million, five million children um, going hungry in, in this country. Um, you know, it's like Marius said, our, our socioeconomic situation is so bad. Uh, millions of households can't afford to, to buy the basic essentials. And, um, you know, children who are malnourished, I mean, that has knock-on effects for, um, you know, uh, their career prospects, being a functioning uh, individual in society. Um, and it feels to me the only solutions that the government can come up with is, is very reactionary. Um, get more people on the the social grant system, uh, exclude um, many different food items from tax increases. But we can't do that now in our current fiscal situation. There, there is no money. Um, the the national treasury every year says that our our fiscus is under complete strain. We can't raise um, taxes any more than we already have. And um, with the, the government's proposed social relief of distress grant, which we also highlight in our um, social grants macro review, I mean, the government wants to make that temporary measure now permanent um, in the form of a universal basic income grant. Now, I... Like I, I've said previously on the show, I do think that there should be a, a social safety net because there will always be people who slip through the cracks. Um, but in order to afford a, a very generous social safety net, um, we have to have the, the type of economy that can generate wealth and, 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 and resources to, to um, justify such a comprehensive um, cover. So uh, the, the the point I'm trying to make is is that there's we have 13 million um, social child support grants, 13 million child support grants specifically that that get paid out every month, and and these grants are valued at around 500 rand that the child support grant specifically. Um, and that's that's barely enough to keep someone alive. The, the 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 ultimate solution would be to to have an economy that generates jobs, 
um, to have an education system that equips young people to to one day get meaningful employment, to look after themselves and to, to generate wealth. You can't generate wealth and financial security with meager grants of just a few hundred rand. Um, so, yeah, it's... The, the, the government is trying in very active ways to, to, to solve the problem while at the same time being the biggest obstacle to, to getting people out of poverty. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, you know, when people, there's this kind of assumption, I think, among uh, you know, some, in, some of the intelligentsia and some sort of uh, maybe middle class people that when, when you talk about economic growth, you're really just talking about, you know, I don't know, making the capitalists wealthier or, you know, supporting big business or something like that. Or, but really, this is the result, what we're seeing right here in this report from the Nelson Mandela Children's Fund is the result of not having economic growth which is nearly 5 million children starving. It is an enormous human cost. It is a horrific price to pay. Um, and, you know, the economic growth, tragedy like this is going to persist. The tragedy of poverty will linger in this country as long as we do not generate those jobs. And, uh, you know, never mind the rest of our social problems. That's just going to stick around forever. Marius, any final thoughts on this one? It's like our <coughs> colleague Chris Hutting likes to say. A is A, and I think this that's exactly it. And you know, as as you said, it's this enormous human cost, and uh, how many and the destruction of potential of literally millions of human beings, you know, people who could have done all kinds of things, not 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 necessarily become you know Hollywood actors or played directly for South Africa, but just people would have had fulfilling careers, you know, made made enough money to provide for themselves and their family, and been able to retire comfortably. And because of the country's economic situation people can't you know they live these lives of penury and being hungry all the time and despair and it's because of the lack of economic growth in the country exactly right okay let's move on to our last topic for today and this is uh, about the south african revenue services struggle to collect collect um sin taxes particularly from um so, so this includes both illicit alcohol and also illicit cigarettes uh, things basically uh, versions of these goods sold without paying taxes and revenue collected by the government in the first half of the current financial year was 2.4 percent greater in the same period last year but was 56.8 billion rand lower than estimated by the treasury so uh, in terms of the treasury's planning our tax intake was was uh, way lower um, and this is particularly um, affecting cigarettes which ever since the cigarette ban back you know, during the COVID period um uh, government has seen an enormous drop in the amount of uh, taxes it's able to collect on tobacco as illegal cigarettes have flooded the market and indeed uh, i believe the stats are something along the lines of uh, cigarette uh, cigarette illegal cigarettes used to be about 10 to 20 percent of the south african tobacco market before the ban on cigarettes and now that number is, I think, over 50% uh, on our illegal cigarettes. So, Kerry, um, in our pre-show discussion, the way I talked about this, I said, I think from a certain point of view, uh, at least the point of view of government and good governance and collecting taxes and keeping out organized crime, uh, the banning of cigarettes during COVID was the most boneheaded, short-sighted, idiotic 
government policy that they have put forward in a very long time. Um, it just was a complete disaster. It didn't do anything for anyone's health, and it created this huge boom in the illicit uh, cigarette market. Uh, your thoughts, yeah. Mary? Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, in in the context of uh, declining tax revenue, uh, mostly due to um, very destructive uh, government policy, the last thing you can, uh, or the last thing that you should do, is uh, willingly go and and close the taps, the remaining taps um, revenue sources. Uh, yeah, uh, there were plenty of studies worldwide that um, that uh, debunked the idea that that people who who smoke were necessarily more um, uh, likely to die from from COVID. Um, and yeah, Nicole Zanet Laminizuma, that was one of her justifications for uh, banning cigarettes. Um, but all it ended up doing was um, force thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of smokers into the illicit market, the, the, the underground black market. Um, and they haven't returned um, to the, the, the formal market now. So we can permanently say goodbye to um, a huge chunk of our tax. Um, so it's it's incredibly devastating. I mean, maybe there were some vested interest or uh, alternative political motives um, that may have benefited. Uh, I'm getting into the cons uh, you know the uh, conspiracy theory um, realm now, but uh, I'm. You know that would actually make sense um, if, if if this was deliberately done to benefit certain political actors. I mean, this is an extremely corrupt country. I wouldn't, um, you you know, I I think that is a unfortunate possibility for South Africa that that was done uh, deliberately. But yeah, um, the, the the point is is that. Um, we're now losing millions and millions of rands in revenue uh, to this unnecessary, total unnecessary ban. I think we were one of the few countries, if not the only country, to ban cigarettes during during COVID. So just to put that the amount of tax shortfall in perspective, uh, the DA proposal to increase the child grant to help deal with the food stuff is 26 billion rand more per year. And the reduction, the, the the shortfall in tax on tobacco products and and, and alcohol is fifty six billion rand a year. So in other words, you could have paid for it twice over. Um, Marius, what, what do you make of this? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it's you kind of like to see it, you know, the government uh, getting uh, bitten uh, in the bum like this. But also shows how the government kind of thinks of people as their subjects or their children, not really as citizens. You know, banning cigarettes and also banning of alcohol. I remember, I think it was end of 2020 or end of 2021, when Sora Ramaphosa came on TV a day or two before uh, New Year's Eve, and he said alcohol is banned with immediate effect. You know, and not giving anybody any warning. And, you know, like, cool, we can agree maybe alcohol is not great for you, but you, 
people need to make their own decisions. And also remember when uh, um, uh, Becky Taylor, uh, he said uh, that we'll go to a high level of lockdown if people don't know how to behave. And lockdown should be not to do with how people behave. It should be to do with uh, what COVID was doing, you know. Uh, South Africans aren't, uh, they don't belong to the government. The government's uh, not uh, the parents of South Africans. It's somebody that we voted in uh, to manage the country. Uh, you know, they're not, they're not the boss of us or whatever the case is. So, and also a lot of these bands, I think they were just knee-jerk. And I think what Harry was saying about the conspiracy stuff, I mean, it's all alleged and so on, but I would not be surprised if a lot of it's, if uh, there was a reason for the cigarette ban is because of people in governments allegedly uh, were, would benefit from there be more illegal cigarettes on the market. And as I said, this is all obviously alleged. I'm not accusing anybody of anything, but would not surprise me at all if uh, this was actually the case. Definitely. Anyway, I think that is all the time we have for today. So thank you very much for listening to the show. Um, we will be back next week with the Daily Friend Show. I hope you all have a wonderful weekend. And uh, for those of you up in the north of the country, um, do your best to stay cool because... Ooh, it's really uh, it's really hot out there. Um, also, if you do enjoy the show, please remember to subscribe to us, like the video, and boost us in the almighty algorithm. Anyway, thank you very much. Have a good one. Cheers.